Welcome to the Live Your Purpose podcast, featuring compelling interviews with big-hearted people in the Oklahoma City metro area who are leading, creating, and innovating on purpose. Get inspired by conversations with passionate difference makers from our local community. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, life purpose coach and founder of Full Integration Coaching. On today's episode, we sit down with Reverend Kelsey Cobbs, a passionate minister with a call to build thriving communities of love, belonging, and purposeful engagement. And now, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Live Your Purpose podcast. I'm here today with Reverend Kelsey Cobbs, who is an ordained minister in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, and a recent graduate of Vanderbilt Divinity School. Residing in Oklahoma City, Kelsey is passionate about building a world where all people know they are loved, have what they need to thrive, and engage with their community to find meaning and purpose alongside one another. Kelsey's professional experiences have brought her to churches, jails, prisons, hospitals, and tent cities, as she learned what it means to do the tender work of bearing witness to the humanity of her neighbors. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is so great to have you on the show. I'm not going to lie. I'm so excited that you said yes. Um, (laughs) So recently, and you'll be able to tell your own story, but I was just so excited to, um, as of the time this uh, podcast is recorded, within a week or so, uh, see you ordained as a reverend in the Disciples of Christ. And that was phenomenal. Thank you. It was really a a beautiful service. And um, it's kind of funny, my my friends that I graduated from school with, we've had our, our ordination season. Sometimes 20-somethings have wedding season, but we're having ordination season. So every <laughs> two weeks, we've been able to see each other in different places. Um, and it was really cool to have people come to my home and, and see the church and the community that, that brought me up and um, taught me to be faithful. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So we watched online, but I I did snap some screenshots and they were really, really good. (laughs) There were some touching moments. So especially with mom and dad up there, I thought that was so sweet, you know? So anyway, so we've known each other for a while, you know, and speaking of church and where you were ordained at new covenant Christian church in Oklahoma city, that's where we got to know one another. Um, And that was like two or three years ago or like 15 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe like between 10 and 15, something okay. like that. <laughs> That's probably, be- I think your math is better. So it seems like, <laughs> sometimes it seems like it wasn't that long ago, but um, I'm not sure either of us are old enough for that number to be accurate. Okay. So let's, somebody <laughs> else, please check our numbers and, and write in. I uh, would love to have your answer, but, uh, <laughs> but regardless, yeah, I was serving at that time as youth praise band leader and assistant director of, of youth. And, and it was just so cool to be in praise band with you and do what we were doing to, to worship the Lord and to do some good for his people in our community and beyond. So such good memories. Yeah. Those yeah. were those were fun days. Uh, that was sort of the start of my desire to pick up any musical instrument I could find. <laughs> yeah. And so, oh my gosh, we could go on a tangent right now. So you're still playing musical instruments and singing and doing these things? Yeah. My most recent um, acquisition is a Russian accordion. Um, my <laughs> my grandparents <laughs> got it in Russia when they were visiting Um, they just hopped over to Russia when they were visiting my mom, when she was studying abroad in Sweden. Um, and they bought it, uh, the price tag is still on it. I 
it, the unit is Robles, I think, and it's from the the seventies or eighties. So. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, if you have a recording of something that you've laid down, I'd be glad to put that, drop that as the outro music. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll just see if we can get Kelsey to do that, but no, that's really cool. So that's, that's awesome that you're still playing and, and uh, have a diversity of different instruments you're, you're playing. Yeah. Well, Kelsey, as you may know, we start each episode with a kickoff question on this show and you've chosen yours. So I'll just send that your way and we'll see where the conversation takes us from there. Cool. Okay. So Kelsey, what do you want to be when you grow up? So when I was a kid, I wanted to be a band director. I wanted to teach kids about music because I loved learning about music. Yeah. And then as I've gotten older, um, I've decided I don't want to grow up, so I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. um, but if there's a, a career or, or person that I want to be professionally, um, that person is someone who helps um, churches or communities or even individuals understand um, social issues and figure out their faithful response. Um, so learning deeply about issues like maybe hunger or homelessness or um, women's issues and figuring out how to be faithful in response um, and knowing that that means something different for every community and every individual. Yeah. And you've been to several different communities. You're welcome to dive in wherever you like, but um, I know that you've, you've had boots on the ground uh, in faithful ways with various communities. So uh, a couple of different directions. I did want to find out when, when you received that call, if you want to, if, if it came as a call to you on your heart or as a passion of yours to do the work you just described um, social good, social justice, social reform and faithful responses. And then some of the areas that you've worked in. Yeah. So I remember when I first started understanding my call to ministry, um, I took an account of, of what I'm good at and the kind of person I want to be in the world. Um, and someone at church camp sort of said, you know, Kelsey, you might be good at this thing, this ministry thing. And I chuckled and I was like, okay, sure, but I'm going to be a band director. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, um, I, I tried to take it pretty seriously though. And I wanted to, um, to take that account of what I'm good at and who I want to be. And I thought maybe, um, since I can speak Spanish and I also like the culture lessons in Spanish language learning, I thought maybe being a missionary would be, would be fun and something that I'd be good at. Um, and then as I, as I learned more and I grew more, um, I sort of discerned like that maybe doing mission here is, is necessary and is good and meaningful. Um, and so I've, I've kind of followed different, different lessons in my calling. Um, I thought I might want to do prison chaplaincy, um, because I, I believe we can't just throw people away and I, who are the people that we throw away or try to try to disappear? Um, they're people who, have committed crimes or they're people who have lost everything um, or somewhere, somewhere within that, that complexity. So um, I decided not to do prison chaplaincy um, and the, the field placement that I had in grad school at Vanderbilt was um, I was a chaplain intern with open table Nashville, which is an interfaith homeless outreach and advocacy um, organization. And so that 
that was probably the single most formative experience I've had in my education so far is doing um, outreach and education um, alongside people experiencing homelessness. And so that's that model of that organization is sort of how it's how my understanding of what I'm supposed to do or what I can offer the world here, um, how I'm trying to, to follow that and figure out how to how to see what there is in Oklahoma City. Oh, I'm literally hanging on every word. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're speaking my language. I'm, I think you know that. So um, I'm really curious about what you learned. So this was in the, this was in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Open table. And I, I know just the surface level. So do you want to dive into a little bit about what uh, open table is, what they're up to and, you know, kind of the work that you were able to do, you know, more specifically. Yeah. So Open Table does um, a lot of outreach. So they try to make sure that um, they build relationships with people and build trust with people and also work to meet people's physical needs. Um, people experiencing homelessness have some choices um, a lot of times about whether to go into a shelter or whether to stay outside. And um, we don't try to make people or influence people to do any one thing. We just want to make sure that they're they're taken care of and that their um, their physical needs are met. Because all of the choices that we make, there are factors that influence them. And so we want to we want to take the whole person and not shame them for not going to the shelter when there are beds available, but say, okay, you're going to stay here. How do we make sure that you're gonna you're gonna be safe and you're gonna be warm? Um, and you're going to have what you need. Another part of what Open Table does is education. So they would have trainings for um, people who wanted to volunteer with us or people who just wanted to learn more about um, issues of homelessness in Nashville. And so we'd educate them on how to engage with people experiencing homelessness, um, how to how to check in on someone to see if they're okay. Um, and they we also did something we called winter canvassing. You know how canvassing is like you go and knock on people's doors and see if they want to sign your petition or vote for your candidate. Um, we went and we sort of knocked on people's doors or knocked on people's tents and, and said, hey, the emergency shelters are open tonight. The weather is going to be below 28 degrees. Would you like a ride to the shelter or what do you need to make sure that you get through the night? Do you need propane? Do you need socks, et cetera? And so we trained people on on how to do that work with us so that um, we weren't doing it all on our own. We had a whole city to cover um, to look out for people. And so we did some some outreach trainings for for people who wanted to work with us. And then um, one experience I had, I got to be a guest lecturer at a university. Um, The Lipscomb University had an education class and they wanted their students to um, be able to understand and identify signs of homelessness in their students around elementary and middle school age. Um, And I talked with them about um, homelessness in youth and adverse childhood experiences and um, how we can be the best supporters we can be while also maintaining the the position that the kids are going to are wired for survival. And we can't make them do anything, but we can empower them to to seek out resources when it's safe for them and when it's appropriate. So that's kind of what I got to do there. Oh, those are some incredible opportunities. And so I'm, I'm just curious about maybe a couple of success stories from maybe the tent canvassing where you went uh, dwelling to dwelling and, and invited individuals to, you know, when there's some weather's coming in, you have some choices. Can you think of a couple of 
success stories uh, of uh, folks who took you up on that and maybe they spread the word and, and uh, found some options that may have worked better for them than otherwise? <laughs> yeah, so um, there was a lot of the time when I went canvassing, I was on the, um, the South side and South side, our people tended to stay in their tents. Um, there was, there was one evening where we went out, um, and we met our people at, at a Walgreens parking lot, um, because the, the police had been looking for someone and they were pretty sure that that person was hiding in their camp. And so they, they closed access to where we go to access their camp. Um, and so we had to meet nearby and the, the, the people that we met with, they were so happy to see us. And they were like, can I, can I get socks for, for my friends who couldn't make it yet? Like they're still at work. And I want to, I want to make sure that I have enough to share. Um, and that kind of generosity and looking out for, for neighbors, even when resources are scarce, that feels like a real testament to, to what humanity can do for each other, even in the face of adversity and in the face of um, uncertainty. And there was um, another instance where I was um, able to to talk with someone who has not experienced homelessness, um, who was complaining is not the right word, but that's the word I have right now. They were sort of complaining about how people don't go into shelter. Like, why why would someone choose to stay outside? Um, and so I I talked about my friend um, Joe and Joe stayed under a bridge and he was a cranky man. <laughs> um, but he and my coworker were really good friends. And so, um, Joe had been hit by a car and was post-surgery and, um, he was given an opportunity to go into housing, like, um, so that he could heal from surgery in a, in a clean and safe place. And he dug his heels in harder than I've ever seen anyone dig his heels in. And he said, I'm not going. You cannot make me go. Don't talk to me about going because I will not go. And my coworker just, he talked to him about, about what's, what the barriers are, what's keeping him from, from being able to, to go. And um, he talked about the sense of community that he has and the sense of control that he has over his life when, where, when he stays where he has made his home. Um, and I told that story to this person who was like, why don't people go into housing when it's an op- when it's available to them? Um, and so being able to, to actually tell a story of the guy that I know, Joe, and how he would rather keep his life as it is instead of surrendering some of his own power to someone else and then still wind up homeless at the end of whatever 90 days, um, being able to offer a sense of humanity to this person that is, um, to so many of, of us, like those guys, um, being able to offer that sense of humanity and see, see lights turn on in in this person, um, and get like a glimpse of, of compassion growing in someone for another person that they didn't understand. Um, that feels like a real success story. Yeah. And that's frontline, that's frontline work right there, you know, where that, where the action is, so to speak, and, and a real live lived experience and an opportunity to, to shift perspectives is what I'm hearing. 
around mm-hmm. uh, around folks that may just not know. It's an educational opportunity about, as you described, another way to see uh, our humanity in circumstances that maybe we haven't experienced ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that sense of autonomy that individuals who are experiencing homelessness, sometimes that's all that's what they've got. They're hanging on to what they can hang on to understandably, and any of us can understand that, what matters most to us? Where do we get our security from? And are, are we willing to surrender it? Most of us are not. We'd rather hold yeah. on, to what, <laughs> on to, to what it is because that's core to what it means for being human. We need security. What it looks like yeah. in different contexts varies depending on circumstances. Right. Yeah. And even for for some of us who are not living in poverty, like how many of us are more willing to keep a job in which we are unhappy, but we get that steady paycheck and we know that we're going to have food on the table and maybe we'll get to go see our friends and family, even if we're miserable for 40 hours a week. Like we've all done it too. It's not just those people who can't think ahead. Like, no, they're thinking ahead. <laughs> right. They're just living in a slightly different reality, but it's still the human story. And that's what yeah. I'm hearing. Yeah. I, I have a similar view um, and I think for me, I get to work with pop, similar populations in the work that I do uh, with coaching. Some of the folks that I serve are in stable, um, you know, they're socioeconomically stable and secure. They don't have a lot of concerns that other folks may have that I get to work with. But I've been through my own trials and tribulations, which I think is helpful. I've experienced some homelessness in my past with addiction and alcoholism. And then, um, you know, with mental illness, you know, I have mental health concerns and uh, depression and anxiety and I have for years. And those have given me that sense of compassion or empathy that uh, I don't know that I would have had otherwise. I'm, I'm pretty sensitive, you know, I'm pretty in tune, but I don't know that I could have had um, some of the uh, insights that I do today without that lived experience. Where I'm headed with this, Kelsey, is like, you can open up whatever level is comfortable. But I'm just curious, like, where does that compassion and empathy and just the, the genuine heartfulness for you come from? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of my work, especially in, in the beginning, has come from a sense of guilt that I've had everything. I haven't, sure. I haven't struggled much. I'm, I'm still new and doughy-eyed in the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a real privilege too, because we don't always get to, to interact with people who aren't jaded yet. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Right. (laughs) And so, um, some, some of the guilt that I have about having had everything, having, um, a backup plan and then another backup plan where the options for me being homeless or me being like, every cent on my paycheck to every cent on my paycheck, those options have been very small because of the the world that I've been born into and because of the ways that um, I've been able to rely on my community for support and care. Um, and I, I see that other people don't have that. And I, I have somewhat of a rescuer complex and I, I want to give that to people even though I don't have enough money to give that to people I don't have enough money to say even plan c d or e like you have a place to stay like <laughs> I don't I don't actually have the capacity to give that but um I've been told that that when you when you reach out in compassion you you build a better world um and I 
that's the kind of thing that, that continues to drive me because I want a better world for myself. I want a better world for my neighbors. Um, and I, I really want us to be able to see what's, what's vibrant about this life that we have and that we share, um, instead of seeing what's abysmal. A lot of it's pretty abysmal sometimes too. (laughs) Right. Just to be honest. Right. But so, yeah. yeah. So on that, you know, what sustains your hope? I mean, I know some of the answer, but I'm just curious, like, how do you, how do you stay buoyant? How do you float when, when, you know, the reality of the abysmal world um, confronts you? Mm -hmm. So there's, um, I'm a person of faith. I'm a Christian (laughs) recently ordained Yeah, (laughs) and um, something that really surprised me is that I, I really hold on to the story of resurrection. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I tend to, to look at scripture as metaphor. And for a while there, I wasn't really sure about the resurrection and, and that's okay. I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking critical questions about your faith. I prefer that we do it. Um, But it turns out that when I can't, see signs of resurrection around me. I, I go back to the story of resurrection in Jesus and in Lazarus and in just the ways that I've seen transformation occur in myself. Um, and as long as we're able to connect ourselves to some sort of, of change or agent that moves us forward, then that's how I can have hope that today is going to be different from yesterday. And within that difference, there's a potential for better. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly right. So let's, let's run that back. Here's, here's what I just heard. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> your faith is in Christ and in the resurrection, right? As exemplified mm-hmm. in the gospel. And, and then also in the own resurrections that you've had, the transformations that you've had in your own walk with Christ and in your own lived experience. And, and just the idea that that last point, if I heard you right, what I got was um, looking closely and seeing that each day and each moment even is unique. And that just knowing that this day is different than yesterday, there are opportunities and not just assuming that everything is as it was the day before. Something has changed. And in that change, it could actually be something better. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So if anybody just heard that, please play that back. You know, that's not the way (laughs) it's not the common way a lot of us think, but absolutely, you know, look carefully at your life and um, pray, meditate, do whatever you do and look at the conditions of your life and recognize that today is not the same as yesterday. Yeah. What is today's date, Kelsey? It is okay. At the time of this recording, this is the only Thursday, September 9th, 2021 that anyone will ever have. And whatever date this launches, that's the only date you'll have on that date. Every day is unique. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah. There's also um, the story that was, that was read from the gospel in my ordination. It's in Luke. Um, It's the walk to Emmaus. Um, I sort of carry that serendipity with me. I think it's a serendipitous story Um, because it's, it's funny that, so here's what happens in the story for, for those of you who don't know, um, Jesus has died and his friends are really upset about it because their friend died. And, um, a couple of them are walking back to the next town over and they're just, maybe they're just looking for some space to get away and, and grieve their loss. 
And along with them, this stranger is walking. And all of the readers know that this stranger is Jesus. But these two guys in the story do not know that this stranger is Jesus. And so he walks with them and he's like, hey, guys, what's going on? And they're like, how do you not even know? We're we're grief stricken. And you're probably the only person in Judea who does not know what's going on. Jerusalem, sorry. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And so they walk and then they arrive at their destination and um, Jesus eats with them. And they recognize because he has been eating with them for years and they recognize him when he breaks bread with them. That's his thing. And so um, they walked with him. They probably spent several hours with him at least. And they didn't recognize him until the very end when he did what he always does, even though he's always been walking with them and talking with them. Um, it was just, it just had to be his signature move that, <laughs> that got them to wake <laughs> up. Um, and so to think that, that maybe you or I could be like these two dudes, um, just our vision clouded by our grief of the world, um, that we can't see Christ in our neighbor that's walking with us, or we can't see Christ in the person who's got a sign by the, by the street and they're looking for a beer. Um, <laughs> and when, when we look back on that story with 2020 hindsight, we can look on our lives also with some sort of 2020 vision where we can see some hope of resurrection in and the people we meet. And that's serendipitous. And that's, um, it has sort of like a magical realism to it too, where that's not something we've ever trained ourselves to look for until maybe we consider that story a little bit differently and figure out how it applies to our lives. Oh, I love every word of that. And, and that's one of my favorite stories. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the I'm going to call it magic, but the divinity, the the imagination, the the wonder, the awe in that story when they like, oh, it's you, <laughs> and then he disappeared, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I love that. I love that. Um, it's it's one of my favorite stories. I use that. Some of the work that I've done is like with contemplative prayer, uh, done contemplative prayer circles and and uh, trainings and things like that, and that's very often one that I'll use as an experience, you know, and imagine that you're on the road to Emmaus, that you're, you're, maybe you're one of the two or that you're this other stranger or that you're somewhere off the side of the road and placing yourself in the story. And, and what I hear, this is where I'm coming from. I hear you saying, you're looking at the individual at the intersection of the highway saying, all I really need is a beer or, you know, we'll do anything for a little bit of food or whatever the sign says, and taking a second look, you know, taking another look and really reflecting on my own life when I see that individual uh, and thinking about the times that I've come through and maybe my thoughts, my eyes were clouded and I, I couldn't hear what I needed to hear and see what I needed to see. Um, so we've all been in similar situations, not exactly the same place, but close enough for a little bit right. of compassion. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what makes our, our stories that we hold close to us. That's what makes them live and breathe is that they still mean something to us. They, they mean something different in different seasons of our lives. And, um, the, the, um, United Church of Christ said, 
um, they had a, I think it was a campaign about the Bible and they said the we're the Holy is still speaking though. God didn't stop acting when the Bible was done being written and compiled, but God is still, is still acting on our lives and we ought not forget that. It's too easy to forget it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why is it so easy? Why? Yeah. What do you think so far at this point in your life? you know, what you've heard and seen from others and maybe in your own walk, what makes it so easy to forget? Because we all do. I think we all really attach ourselves to the part of the scriptures that are signs and wonders. And there's something really appealing about signs and wonders, something clear that everyone interprets the same at the same time. And I wonder if maybe those those were not so clear at the time, but we had the narrator's privilege of of being able to know with hindsight what it was. And I think we're looking too much for narrator's hindsight in our lives rather than being characters in this ever unfolding story. And we don't know what's on the next page and we're not actually living in a book. We get to, we don't get to skip to the next chapter and see what happens, but we get to be present on, on all of our, our journeys and in our moments to, to figure out like, what would, what would God's faithful do? Um, or what would God's foolish people do? <laughs> because more often I can answer that one. probably in that party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can answer that one from lived experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a little bit of both, a little from column A and a little from column B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I love that. Um, you know, one of the things, Kelsey, that for me, once I really started to wake up and, and have more periods of wakefulness and a taste of this kingdom of heaven, uh, was really when I was inserted myself as a character. I'd heard that from a preacher or a prayer service leader or something. And I thought, I'm, I've never really considered that, you know, placing myself as a character in the biblical narrative and showing up and and looking at the perspective from that point of view and i've done that for so long now i mean there's so much to glean it, it, that the story's always new that way too you can take on any character and imagine what it might have been like to be there and then apply that you can apply those same lessons just using you know our god-given imagination and our ability to have insight and reflect and then uh and then our storytelling minds and I'm telling you, that's when the change for me, I'm like, oh, there's, there's Christ. He's been, he's been in the book the whole time. He's been there the whole time. I've heard about him a lot, but the real transformation, like in consciousness <laughs> or the heart or whatever we want to call it, the spirit, I thought, oh, the ears to hear and the eyes to see, they're a little less cloudy now. My ears a little more open. <laughs> and so the message starts to take on a new meaning from that perspective. Yeah. Oh, there's just so much richness when, um, when we find ourselves in the role of of creators of the story rather than victims of it. Ooh, love um, that. Tell me. I more. recently yeah. for, I, I was at OU Health as a chaplain intern, um, doing a unit of clinical pastoral education, and one of the books we read was called The Power of Ted, and Ted is an um, anagram um the empowerment dynamic so the power of the empowerment dynamic was kind of the title of the book 
Um, and it talked about the the ways that we often get cycled into victim mindsets. And we we think we we surrender our agency in the world by calling ourselves victims of things. And um, instead of instead of taking accountability for our actions or maybe taking accountability for our inactions, um, we can set aside we can set aside our our victim mindsets and become creators um, and generate something from our loss or from our pain. Um, and that takes a lot of work and a lot of courage too. Um, sometimes it's a little bit easier just to, just to say, what was me? Like, I can't believe I'm sick right now, or I can't believe that my car is busted and I have to be without my car for a week. Like, I wonder what it's like to ride the bus. I wonder who I might meet on the bus when I don't have my car. Like it's a, it's a journey to figure out how to be creators because that's, that's who we are made in the likeness of. We're made in the likeness of our creator. Absolutely. To live a, a generative life versus a destructive life, you know, is yeah. another way for me to frame that, that gosh, you know, so much, I was angry with life for so long and deeply like rageful, angry and hurt by life. So that victim mentality, that powerless mindset, very familiar. And I think, I think many of us that have experienced that are human experience that, but also those of us that get on the extreme ends of humanity, like with addiction and, and things like that, like I did. Um, I mean, my goodness, for years, why does this always happen to me? <laughs> Life has always got it in for me. You know, God doesn't hear me. These are kinds of message, messages. They can be authentic, of course, too. But, but uh, for me, I'd kind of pinned myself in a corner of believing that because I was wounded, you know, and I experienced some trauma or whatever, that that was my story. Well, that's not the truth. There's always another story. And if it's not creative and generative, it, it may not be the best story. <laughs> so I was living in a story that was not as good as the one that I get to live in today. You know, the character that I am today is, I think, a lot more creative, like you're talking about, and co-creative. Um, I, I'd love to help others create their own lives and be generative in the work that they do in the world. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of like, what sorts of, of story videos do, do we like to consume when we're on the internet? Like I, I love the videos, um, that are about people who have suffered hardship and made something beautiful. I love watching those. I, I want to be creative like that, but I don't want the hardship of it, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, um, like those stories are on local news and those stories are, are, are what we like to consume. It makes us feel good. And not very often are, are the stories of, Oh, look at, look at what's happened to me and how terrible it is. Like those stories don't make the news. People don't generally want to want to enjoy victimhood we want to enjoy creation and generation of, of joy. Um, and not that everything we we do or think should be created for consumption on the media, but just thinking about what makes us feel good and what we like to see in others. How do we keep cultivating that in ourselves? Absolutely. I'm on board with that. And I think a lot of our listeners are too. You know, that's the title of the podcast, the Live Your Purpose podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, 
you know, people that it can go in a, in a darker direction, meaning uh, a, a less generative and a more destructive direction. People with purpose can can be very destructive. But generally, the folks that are listening to this show probably are not because it's going to be very boring to them because we're talking about <laughs> hope and creativity and light and love and uh, making a positive impact in our own lives and in the lives of those that we touch. And that's all I'm hearing from you. It's all this good stuff. Um, well, Kelsey, I'm curious because you had mentioned, and I'm not putting you on the spot with this, but you did mention earlier the open table and kind of envisioning or imagining what that might be, I think, right in the Oklahoma City Metro. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you have some initial thoughts or some traction that you've gained in that direction? Or what do you hope to do? So I, um, I know that Open Table does not exist, exist anywhere other than Nashville, because it is made by Nashvillians for Nashvillians. Um, so since I've moved back to Oklahoma City after seven years of school. Um, I moved back in June um, or just before June. Um, so I'm still getting my feet on the ground, learning about what resources are available here, um, what organizations are doing. But there's one that really sticks out to me. Um, and I found out about them on Twitter. They It's called City Care. And they recently opened a night shelter for people experiencing homelessness. And um, they are, they emphasize trauma-informed care and um, this night shelter is low barrier. So a lot of times when people talk about shelters, there, there are real barriers that keep people from going into night shelters. Um, sometimes people who have pets don't want to surrender their pets or um, people who have belongings aren't allowed to bring their belongings to the night shelter. And so um, finding City Care has found ways to um, make it as easy as possible for people to come in and have a safe place to sleep. So there's kennels for dogs. Um, there are family suites where families can stay together. Oftentimes, um, boys at age 14 are considered men, and so they would have to go to a men's shelter. Um, I'm not sure about the landscape of Oklahoma City's shelters, so I can't really speak authoritatively on that. Um, but that's an issue that I've seen in other cities. Um, so there's ways for families to stay together. Um, there's short-term and long-term storage. So people don't have to surrender their belongings or, or hide them and hope that they're still there at the end of the, the night. Um, and they, um, they really seem to center dignity and respect, um, for people. So I, I sent an email to their CEO and I said, I really care about chaplaincy and I noticed you don't have a chaplain on staff. Um, and so we've talked a little bit about um, generating a, a position for spiritual care um, for their night shelter and their, their different, um, they have transitional housing and permanent housing. And then also um, to do relationships with churches to help churches figure out how to be informed and involved um, and faithfully so. Um, so we're working on figuring out how to find funding for that. Um, if you know of any grants, let me know. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Anybody listening in, I, we'll, let me on that point, by the way, folks, in the show notes, you can click the tab that says show notes and you'll see some links. Kelsey's information will be in there and there'll be ways for you to get in touch with her. Uh, you can also reach out to me. So yeah, literally, if I have resources, I'm going to be reaching out to Kelsey because this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so... 
um, I'd really like to start there. I'd really like yeah. to start building something. Um, I don't, I don't have a desire to do like freelance street chaplaincy because I think being, um, in a relationship with and accountable to an organization is really important for, um, fighting off burnout, um, maintaining healthy relationships and safe relationships, and also just being well-resourced in, in this work. Um, since I'm still really, I, I could speak pretty well about what's going on with homelessness and homeless resources in Nashville. I still don't know quite well enough right now to speak authoritatively or, or adequately about what's in Oklahoma city, but, um, having an organization that, that knows and, um, is accountable to people is really important. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm starting and I'm hoping to build something there. That's so exciting. Yeah. So folks, please do reach out to Kelsey. Um, I've got about 10 names that are in my head right now that I'm going <laughs> to, that I'm going to hit you with Kelsey after this. So, um, I will tell you also just thinking out loud with you, the, the Interfaith Alliance in Oklahoma City, are you familiar with them? Um, they, they are I'm very, yeah, so that may be an avenue for you. So those would be some of the names that I, uh, that I send your way. But a couple of them have been uh, folks that are active uh, in interfaith work have been guests on the show. Uh, Imam Imad and Chasi from the Muslim community. Uh, extremely active and supportive uh, with the Interfaith Alliance and does wonderful outreach um, through, the, uh, they're, they're all called the Mercy Programs. So, and, and he has a whole story about that. You got to get to know him and several others. So I'll definitely uh, send those names out to you. Well, that's very cool. So a chaplain, and I have some chaplain friends too. So uh, just thinking out loud as we're talking on a podcast, <laughs> but <laughs> Hey, that happens. So, yeah. um, well, really good. Okay. So we've talked about, uh, some of where you've been, where you're headed now. I'll tell you what, um, we've got a few more minutes left and it can head in different directions, but let me ask this of you, Kelsey, what, what gives you hope about this, the particular times that we are in right now? Where do you, where do you get your hope and, and what gives you hope about our particular times? Mm. So I think part of what we've uncovered in ourselves and in our communities is that we have, we share a real hunger for connection and that connection needs to be meaningful for it to be substantive. So um, understanding when we've had to be apart for so long that we want to be together is thrilling because I can't count the number of times before in the before times when I thought, oh, I need to go to this thing, but I don't really want to go because I don't actually want to see people. I'm a bit of an introvert. <laughs> Me um, too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that we're starting to consider more seriously how we make our, our gatherings meaningful and intentional. Um, I don't think, I know for me going forward, I want to make sure that I, when I create spaces together, there is, there's meaning and intention behind it. And it's not just, we meet on Tuesdays because we meet on Tuesdays. Like there's, um, we have to cultivate something really intentional when we gather because we see risk now that we didn't see before. Um, and I think when we weren't seeing risk, we also weren't seeing risk of 
of wonderful things either. And now we know what we've lost. Um, and I hope we don't try so quickly to forget what we've lost, even though it's painful. And even though our, our losses are gonna, are gonna continue shaping us, whether we're conscious of that or not. Um, but our awareness of, of our desire for community and meaningful connection, um, I, hope, I hope we don't lose sight of that. And I don't think we soon will. Um, there's too much intentionality already being cultivated now to, to think that it's just gonna disappear, so. Absolutely. That's a powerful reason to hope. And and I join you in that. Um, I'm telling you over the past year, year and a half now, um, since the pandemic hit and a little bit before, but folks are, are turning inward. And, you know, what I do all day long is work with people around questions of purpose and intentionality and meaningfulness and identity and strengths and hope and all of these things. And uh, folks are really looking, you know, they've been in lots of transitions or they've had losses of a variety of kinds, job, uh, family members, sickness, uh, loss of connection, like you described. And, and we do, I, I do believe that we long for human connection, regardless of our worldviews and our, and our religious traditions um, that we may have. We're human beings and we're social. Uh, even us introverts like to be around people sometimes, <laughs> at least like people watching, if nothing else, you know, that's a form of so socializing for an introvert like me, but yes. uh, <laughs> it counts. And I'm telling you, uh, I, at least me, I kind of got weird. Uh, and, and it's still weird a little bit, not being able to be around people again with the, the new variants out. So, but there's always reason to hope. So um Kelsey, I'm going to join you in that. And hopefully some folks will that are listening in too with their, their own reason to hope. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? And if you don't, if you can't think of it right now, I'm not cutting you off, but then we can figure out later. And I'll drop it in the show notes. Yeah, I'm on social media. Um, my, my Twitter and Instagram are the same. So I think that means I have a brand. Um, <laughs> it yes. does not mean that I have a brand, but, um, Kelsia Maria is my Instagram and my Twitter. K E L S I A M A R I A. Okay. Okay. And I'll <laughs> drop that. So that's Twitter and Instagram. Very good. And then, uh, folks, you can find out more about, uh, what Kelsey's described, the open table and the interfaith Alliance and some other things that we talked about. I'll have a few links down there too. Uh, any closing words before we say goodbye? Um, I have nothing to close with, but gratitude. Thanks for, for this wonderful conversation. It's, it's fun to talk about the things that, that bring life, um, and dream up a world where, where we have enough together. So absolutely. Well, well, Kelsey, I'm going to be following along and I'm going to be in touch now that you're back in town and looking to do some good things. Uh, and I'll be helpful however I can. And I've really enjoyed having you as my guest on the show. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Live Your Purpose podcast. I hope you've been inspired by my conversation with today's guest. If you like what you hear, please share with your social networks and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Charles Gossett, 
life purpose coach, and founder of Full Integration Coaching. To learn more about the life coaching, public speaking, and retreat services that I offer, visit fullintegrationcoaching.com. And you can follow along with me on Facebook and Instagram at Full Integration Coaching. Until next time, remember, you were meant to live on purpose. Start living yours today.